Okay, so if you can uh, open your Bibles up to Titus, the last time you do that, well, hopefully not the last time for yourselves, but for preaching. So Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3. So I'd like to go over the last few verses tonight of the book of Titus, um, review the whole book, because it all is really just summed up in the last few verses. And um, so why don't we read those last few verses, verses 12 through 15 of Titus chapter 3. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to enter. Bring Zenos the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And that ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is applicable, it's profitable for all things. Godliness is profitable unto all things. We do thank you for that, Lord, and I ask that as you guide me, as the words I say as I preach, that be I'll stick to the passage here and um, only present what's in your word and not anything else added to it. Lord, just please guide and direct me. Thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'd like to, uh, just because it comes up in those last uh, few verses, to review the book and then to look at these last few verses about what it's talking about there. Just the main thing. It seems to be there that it's just a bunch of you might say, jumbled personal information. But there's definitely a lesson to be learned in those last few verses. Um, but the review of the book, uh, if we look at it, the purpose, though, Titus was sent in chapter 1 was to ordain elders in every city. And it was also to set things in order that they that were wanting. The type of elders, though, he was to ordain was ones who were faithful examples. There, we already saw there's, there's a wanting, there's a need in Crete. There's a need for elders. We see throughout the book there was a need for people to lead because there was a lack of leaders. There was people who were trying to destroy lives, so they needed leaders. And then he tells the type of leaders that are expected that he's supposed to be ordaining, not just anybody and any everybody who says, I want to be a pastor or I want to lead in the church. Um, he tells the type of people they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be faithful examples. They're supposed to be committed to right living, committed ultimately to committing, holding, to holding fast to the word of God. They're supposed to hold fast the faithful word as they have been taught. And then he goes on and explains why we need strong leaders. Well, we need strong leaders. In verse 9 it says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So we need strong leaders because there's men out there who are teaching and promoting ideas that are destructive. And... Uh, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. So they're overturning these houses. They're teaching things which they ought not. So because there are men, they're, they're teaching, they're promoting these destructive, poisonous ideas, and there also are men out there who don't care about authority. That's the subverting whole houses. That's the idea of there's a people's authority, and they're overturning that authority. And there also are men who live to fulfill their own lusts, and a leader must proclaim and preach against each and every one of those situations in, in lives. Um, we see that in verse 12 of chapter 1. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They were concerned about fulfilling their own lusts and enjoying life. That was their goal. And that those things needed to be taught against because they were destructive to people's lives. 
But then he goes on and says what the teachers, or the leaders must teach. In chapter 2, he says they must speak the things which become sound doctrine or healthy doctrine that is helpful. So his people, he's supposed to teach them how to be leaders. So he's not supposed to be a leader who's just leads from the front and says, follow me because I said so. No, he goes and he says, throughout it, in verse 2, he talks about the aged men being sober. Then the aged women are supposed to be, um, likewise also be behavior that becometh godliness. And they're supposed to teach the young women. Um, we see he's supposed to be, Titus is supposed to be living an example, a life of example, of a pattern of good works. So he teaches, so how to be leaders. The leader is supposed to teach people how to be leaders. He not, must not. He doesn't say this specifically, but we can see that is he must not be concerned totally about his own hierarchy or his own authority and concerned that it was going to be attacked at any time, but concerned with growing the people to be able to stand on their own. And he also needed to teach them how to live in their daily lives, not just to teach these big things that don't, and not apply them, not the big ideas of Scripture, and not apply them to their daily lives. And then the, also the reason behind, he tells them the reason behind why they ought to live right lives, is the, that's the last thing they must teach. They must not just tell them what to do and what are the proper ways to think and the proper ways to act. He says, you also must have a reason, teach the reason behind living the way, living properly. Why must we do that? And he says it's the grace of God. This reason is because also we have a new king. In chapter 2, he talks about the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a phrase that is also, uh, during the time, alluding to the Roman emperor. That was the same idea. He was considered the, a, the great God. He was considered the Savior of his people. And they were saying, no, you have a new king, Jesus Christ. And that's where the job of a leader is to present this new king to his people. And also that our, that our King Jesus is coming back. These are all things he's saying for a le these leaders that you must be training, the type of leaders we need. And there's that Jesus is coming back. That they're looking for that blessed hope. And this reason also is because God saved us to be new people. He goes and gives all these reasons, and he not need to be giving the reasons why to live properly. And that also that God saved us from our sin to good works. So all of these things, he must understand the gospel and how it applies to all of life. And then he goes on and says, how must they teach? In chapter 3, he says, with authority, or chapter 2, verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He was supposed to understand that if he has God's word, he has all the authority he needs. And he can stand on it. And he also has the authority of his authority from God, the word of God. But also, we can see Titus, he was being sent by Paul, and he had that authority that we, um, I was just at my brother's ordination. The idea was they were sending him off as giving him, in a sense, the, the condoning or the authority from the church at Fairhaven Baptist Church that they were sending him off. And you can have the confidence, because you have the authority of God's word, God in his word, and then also because Titus was being sent by the people of God. And then also he, must, he also must teach, not just with authority, but also be reminding them regularly in their place in society and how they ought to live. He must remind them of their duties to God and the authority he has set up. And he must be patient as he, as he remembers that he also came from those same situations. He came from a rough, he, 
if it wasn't for Christ, you and I, the leader of, a, of any situation, that's a family or a pastor or who is leader of men, must realize that he also, without Christ, he didn't want God. He must remember that himself and be patient. He must be patient as he teaches and tells them how Christ changed him. And that it was not of his own doing, and at the same point is not going to be of their own doing, that they will come to Christ. It is God's work. He must regularly remind them, and he must remind them and affirm what Christ has done for them. And that Christ did things, but then because Christ did those things, there are duties. God did not save you and then say, go and do whatever you want. He saved you unto good works, from filthy and ungodly works to good works. And you must understand that what he teaches is profitable. That it is, it is worthwhile preaching. It's not a waste of time that we're all here today. This is profitable. So how sh- then he says, how should they deal with unprofitable and hurtful people and the ideas? Because he must not just know that it is profitable. He knows how to deal with those who are trying to say it's a waste of time or dealing or talking about things that are, as he talks about in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3. But they're talking about, but avoid, in verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he, that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So he should know how to deal with these people. They, he must know what is, what is unprofitable teaching, what is profitable teaching, what's worthwhile teaching. He must understand that wasting his time debating with them is not good. Not that he leaves them to himself. It says he talked to them first and second admonition. The heretic is someone who is divisive. But they must know what is worth spending time on and what is worth avoiding. The leader must confront sin and know when to walk away from the person who has chosen the life that is vain and unprofitable. And he must, how, then he must know how he must view his position. He must understand that what he preaches and what he teaches is worth is worth it. It is not a waste of time. It is a profitable endeavor. The Bible does say that he that desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good work. It is worthwhile. Preaching the gospel is worthwhile. It is fruitful. It is profitable. It is profitable not or it is profitable both in this present physical world and also in the world to come. It brings physical fruit, not, not the aspect of the prosperity gospel. The gospel does not mean that your life's going to be easy. But you must understand that the, in Proverbs, we'll get to that in a moment, but wisdom cries out and says, if you find me, you find life. And a leader of the people, a spiritual leader, must understand that the Bible has the words of life. And it that is not just for eternal life. It is for this life here. To have a good life, not an easy life, follow God. But God does promise blessing on those who follow his wisdom. So it's not the prosperity gospel, but it is profitable also for the world to come. It is the preaching of the cross. That is what is important. That is what brings repentance. That is what brings faith. So we get to this right here. 
in, in verses 12 through 15. God saved us not that we may do good works for our own well-being, we see here, but for his own purpose and grace. He has a plan for your life, for my life, and God is not, let's talk about this morning, but God's not about you. It's not about, this life's not about you or me. He is about his own glory and plan. He saved you, if you trusted him as Savior, he saved you to good works, so that now we can live a life, a full life, bringing glory to him. Our job is to have dominion in this world. We are to do that. And also we must share what he has given to us with others. That is part of, that is what God has placed us here. And that's what we see in verses 12 through 15. Let's read that again. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis. For I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. So the first lesson to be learned about the good works God produces in us is first, this life is not about creating your own legacy. Paul began this letter by reminding Titus why he sent him to Crete. Throughout the letter, Titus was expected to work his heart out, you might say, to give it his all in teaching the people how they ought to live. And it seems, from what we can tell, that obviously that Titus put a lot of work into it, to the people in Crete. He gave his heart and soul and mind to those people that they would see who Christ was and how that applied to them. But Paul ended the letter by Titus, by telling Titus to be diligent to come unto Nicopolis, to come speedily, to come quickly, is the idea there, to make haste. But it also seems that at the time of the writing, the letter, Paul did not even know who he would send to Crete. He says, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, comma, or Tychicus, comma. It just seems to be, we don't know exactly, but it seems to be there. He's, he, he isn't saying I'm sending one person there. It could be Artemis, it could be Tychicus. And sometimes when we are possibly going to be replaced in our position, we are so concerned that only one person will ever be the one to replace me. That one person, my job is so important in the work of God that only one person could replace me. And that's not the idea here. God was working through Paul and was not concerned with Titus's legacy. In fact, this is the only time Artemis is even mentioned in the New Testament, which you could try to make some interesting meaning out of that. But, but I, it's the, I do see it interesting that Tychicus is mentioned throughout the Bible. Artemis, someone to replace Titus, who is this, um, he was, o- not over, but he was helping to institute all these different pastors all over the island of Crete. Crete is a big island. And this guy who we do not know anything about except his name's Artemis replaces him. So throughout the letter, we see Titus is expected to give his all in the place God had placed him until God told him to move on. And we are also to understand this very concept. And even in Ecclesiastes, Solomon makes this evidently clear that the man's portion in life is to give his whole life to God. He's supposed to prepare, the Bible tells us where to prepare for those who are coming after him, 
but he's supposed to do this with total resolve to fear God, obey God, do what God has for him, despite who or what comes after him. If they decide to use his wealth for ill, that does not matter. His goal is to give his all to God. And that we see here in verse 12. It says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, Articacus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to enter. He says, Come to me quickly. Someone's going to replace you. When they come, get over here. I need your help here. And we don't read anything about Titus being all upset about that. Later on, we find Titus in Dalmatia. The second lesson, though, to be learned about these good works is that our good works are not for ourselves, which has to do with that. It's not about our legacy. It's not for ourselves, but for others. We see this in verses 13 and 14. Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently. Let nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. In verses 13 and 14, Paul, particularly actually verse 13, Paul commanded Titus to take care of Zenos and Apollos. Zenos was a lawyer. We don't know specifically who he was. He could have been a Jewish lawyer. He could have a lawyer knowing the law of God. He could have been a lawyer in the courts. And so someone made a joke that uh, Paul is always in prison, so it's probably good he had a lawyer. But it doesn't really say. We, all, we do know who Apollos was. He, had a, he was very fluent in speech, and he knew the word of God very well. He talks about uh, with Priscilla and Aquila, took him aside and trained him in the word of God more fully. We don't know where they were going. We have no idea. Maybe they were supposed to be going on a trip with Titus to Nicopolis. Or maybe they were just passing through. Someone said, maybe they're going to Alexandria. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. They were going through, though. And, but we do know, what we do know is that Titus here was commanded to take care of their every need. That's the idea here, this brings Zenos the lawyer and Paulus on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Their every need. Was that, that's the idea, that nothing be wanting unto them. Help them out in everything. Which has to do with the idea of a hospitality, which, if you've ever read any book about journeys, it's what it was expected, even um, slowly reading through Lord of the Rings, and through there's a big journeys, and many times they come to someone and they provide for their needs, but um, even in Eastern culture that was expected, hospitality, taking care of others on their journeys, and it was a common thing in Eastern culture, especially more common in a culture where you didn't have nice hotels, but it is something, just because it's common, back then, it is still, though, expected of us today. And hospitality. Taking care of others. So hospitality was to take care of the stranger and make him feel welcome and take care of his needs. One way that can be done with that is, of course, inviting other members of the church to your uh, in your home, maybe someone passing through something you all have to work on, especially if you don't like to meet new people, of introducing yourself to people in the church, well, making them feel welcome. That's the idea of hospitality. But also it can be 
as more in that idea was more strangers, which may be inviting your neighbor over to your house for fellowship. How else are they? One way they can see the inside of a Christian home is by coming inside of it. I mean, that kind of seems obvious, but we don't always do the obvious thing. So, a hospitality is more dealing with strangers, is the idea there. So, we are to take care of the stranger. We're supposed to take care of our brothers in Christ, and just right here. And we see, though, that Titus was supposed to be taking care of others. In verse 4, so then how, though, if we are to do these good deeds and take care of brethren in Christ, passing through or helping others out, um, maybe there's a health need and maybe a missionary, you know, something comes up, we can help them out with that. How are we to do that? How are we going to provide for them? I mean, does it just, definitely not going to go steal it, hopefully. Um, in verse 14, though, Paul reminded Titus, that the people must learn how to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. So here this good works refers to not only preaching and charity to others. Good works also include working in an honest occupation or trade. What does Paul in Ephesians say the reason a thief must learn to labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good? Well, the reason he gives, it is so that he may give to him that needeth. Part of the reason why we work, a major reason. He does one. How does one provide for his own necessities and the necessity of others? It is by faithfully serving God in your own occupation, by being a good worker, which we already saw throughout here that workers are mentioned. He talks about servants. It is talking about slaves, but they can be applied. Specifically talking about slaves, which we don't want to forget that, but it can be applied to the employer, employee, of working hard, being a good the, employee, the employer sees the type of worker you are. But also, by working hard and being honest in your work, you're able to have money to give to others. To be hospitable. That's always a fun way to say Hospitable. To be hospitable, you have to have funds to do so. And you have to be faithfully serving God in your occupation. And we have been given, we have been given some, we have been given two mandates or commissions throughout our two main mandates, you might say, or commissions or commandments. We've been given the cultural mandate, as we call it, and this, the Great Commission. The first deals with the physical dominion of man over the earth. The second deals with what enables all men to fulfill the first. Without the coming of Christ, we will be unable to perform man's duty on the earth. This service to God in our daily occupation allows us to subdue the earth and to help provide for the needs of others, and for the needs of ourselves, and for the needs of others, for the needs of our families as well. As Paul put it here, for necessary uses. The good works Jesus Christ has saved us to are not for ourselves, but for his own purpose and plan. God expects, and even talks about in Ephesians, talking about a, he talks about the, um, he's talking about a thief who's supposed to go work. So they were a thief, and they're supposed to change their, change their lifestyle now and go work and now give. The good works Jesus Christ has saved us are not for ourselves, but they're for his own purpose and plan. Everything we do is not, nothing we do is for ourselves. It's for God. It's for others. They are so that we can show the love of Christ to others. 
Of course, this unfruitfulness speaks of more than our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs. As Christians, we have a duty to not only take care of people's physical needs, but more importantly, we have a duty to teach them how to deal with their spiritual needs. We are expected to be diligent. You and I, as Christians, that is something God commands us, to be diligent, work hard, make haste in our labor. But it's not for our own sakes. There are many whose whole focus in life is to earn money so that they can get to a point in life. You'll see the ads, would you like to be able to, in a few years, sit on the beach and sip, I don't know, um, for several years or for the rest of your life and money just will come in and you can do nothing for the rest of your life. That's not Christian attitude. The goal of life is not to sit around and do nothing. That's not, that should not be our goal. The goal of life is not just to make money, to make money for money's sake. It is so that we can do good to others. Our lives are not to be lived for ourselves, but for others. We are to provide through our lives fruit that will point back to God, who is the vine, from whence all our strength comes. And as one commentator stated, the tree itself has no use for its fruit. So it talks about unfruitfulness. And you mean not unfruitful. So the tree itself has no use for its fruit. The latter is meant to support the life of others. So the fraternal charity of the Cretan Christians helps sustain the life and missionary work of others for Christ and his church. It says here, the fruit, though, if you think about it, what he just said there, is not for the tree. It makes the tree look beautiful, but the fruit isn't for the tree. Fruit is for others. So that someone else, you plant a tree so that you can maybe come and pluck but it's not for the tree's good. You are able then to pluck the fruit off and enjoy the fruit of, we could say, the tree's labors, right, in a sense. Paul ended his letter with a salutation to the people who would hear this letter to Titus. So we'll come back to this in a moment, this other part. But finishing out the end, and it applies, and then we'll come back and really focus it on verses 12, no, 13 and 14. So Paul ended his letter with a salutation to the people who would hear this letter to Titus. He gives us an example of a Christian's treatment of the people of God. And even here, we see some aspects of Paul's, the way Paul speaks to them, and his care, and his love, and gives us really an example of how we ought to treat each other. He saluted and greeted everyone, and it was not only the select few. He didn't say, this guy, this guy, the top guys in the church, and some of you better about the rest. He bid grace, or the idea is favor, be with them all. Paul understood his ministry was not about himself. It was about the growth of others. It was about others. It was about that whole ministry. It wasn't his own concerns. But going back, though, to verse 14. Titus was told, this is what I like to really focus on, to let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. And in this verse, we can see three more things. First, so it's all concerning good works, and this all goes in line with the whole theme of Titus. That, you might say, ideas have consequences, or good doctrine produces good practice, bad doctrine produces bad practice. There's a lot of different, you might say, a lot of themes throughout here. But one major theme is this. 
that God saved us unto good works. So first, we are to maintain good works to be devoted to good deeds. You and I are expected to be faithful. Jesus said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We are commanded to be faithful. God does not want you to just leave here and do one good deed and say, aha, check God off the list. No more good deeds. Got my days, good deeds done. Covered my back. Now I can do what I want. He doesn't want you just to come to Sunday and say, check, got my good deed done for the week. No. You and I are commanded to give our whole life in worship to God. From the day, from the time we go to bed, or from the time we, we can even say, the time we go to bed to the time we go to bed, even while we sleep. Because we give that to the Lord. God says he giveth his beloved sleep. Every time, all throughout our day, is God's. He wants us to maintain those good works. To be committed to them. So second, though, it must be understood that maintaining good works is fruitful. It is becoming more and more common where some people say that religion but especially those Bible-believing Christians, and um, even recently you see in the news, uh, we saw the He Gets Us, which has, has a, is very weak Jesus. Okay. But nonetheless, that was brought out, and people were attacking. They were, non-Christians were attacking that, this Jesus who loves. It was a false Jesus. Okay, He Gets Us. But they were still, even in that false Jesus, attacking and saying that Christianity is unprofitable. It's, it's useless. These people are they're just promoting fascism, is what one person said. But there's going to be people now that are going to say Bible-believing Christians are not only wasting their time. They're saying, you and I here are wasting our time, is what they say. What you're doing is unprofitable, unfruitful. Go be worthwhile to society as they sit there with their thumbs on their video games. But actually, so their ideas, though, actually, are dangerous. And their ideas destroy society. Ours do not. That's the whole idea in this, in one of the, so the whole idea, one big idea in Titus. In Titus chapter 1, he's saying these people, their ideas, their lies, their poison was subverting whole houses. They were destroying, really overturning society, in a sense, with their this way that God wanted society to be, or the world to be, by their ideas. They may say that ideas we preach and proclaim are unprofitable and vain. Those who love their sin and preach inclusion say our ideas result in hurting people's lives and maybe resulting in their suicide, is what someone will say, because you're preaching against homosexuality or something like that. It's that you're going to hurt people's lives. So they need to say, be nice, be kind. Be kind. Even if someone walks off the end of the cliff, don't say anything. So must we cave to their expectations? No. Emphatically, no. Pointing out sin is both profitable and fruitful. It's not easy. But it's a tree, though, needs pruning. And guess what? Pruning leaves a bruise, leaves a mark behind but in order for someone to turn from their poisonous ideas, they must be pointed out. Of course, the Bible does say, speak the truth in love. But preaching against homosexuality, transgenderism, immorality, laziness, gluttony, feminism, and so on, the Bible says is profitable. 
promoting godly heterosexual marriages, true marriage, stable homes, godly homes, promoting those things, promoting masculinity, promoting being chaste or being pure, having self-control. Each one of these things, the Bible says, is profitable. It's fruitful. It will, it's helpful to your life, to others. It brings forth good fruit. But it must also be, also be remembered in this. In, oh. And let us also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. So in that, in here, we also see that when we don't maintain good works, it is unfruitful. And I saw a article, I quickly was just looking up stuff about, um, as you're studying, ideas from the passage bounce around in your head and you're thinking, how can I make it? And so it's not a bunch of gobbledygook. Um, and I looked at, saw this article, and it's, they called it the 40 harmful effects of Christianity. They had 40, a list of 40 things. Um, it was interesting to say that. But I did see, though, that among other reasons, we see, though, that whether unbelievers deem Christianity unfruitful is because there are people who do not follow after what God calls good works. And in a list of reasons why Christianity, this list of reasons why Christianity is, unharm, is harmful, are reasons, there were some that, sadly you could say that someone misapplied the Bible, and so then now the world laughs and says, you guys believe that? And the misapplication of the Bible, whether that was to approve of certain men's sins, or uh, such as slavery, or Maybe there's this idea of that they think that Christians don't think. Well, sadly, some are, don't have a critical thinking, and because of that, they give a slight bit of it gives a slight bit of a way to someone to have a handle to say, "Oh, you guys are you guys don't have any critical thinking. You guys don't think for yourselves." No, we are committed to the Bible, and God commands. We we have a very rash. Our I want to be clear: our religion is not based on our rationale. But it is a rational thinking faith. Or there's some that believe that snake venom won't hurt you. And that's because they misapplied the Bible. And so then people think, y'all are just idiots. You're crazy. Or there's some that they say, well, because Christ is coming back tomorrow, I'm going to stop educating my kids and I'm going to stop working. I'm going to sell everything and go stand on top of a mountain. Well, that makes people think, that's crazy, because somebody misapplied the Bible, and not every aspect of their life did they bring it under the authority of the Bible. Or there's some that will persecute those who don't believe like us. So you have Catholicism in the name of Christ persecuted anybody who didn't believe like them. And so they think, oh, you guys are crazy, which... Many of those reasons were outlandish, and even those, all of those ones I mentioned, they are not 100% correct. But that people misapplied the Bible, and then it was unfruitful to Christianity because of the misapplication of, the, of Scripture. 
While these are all some a few examples, and like I said, some are a little skewed to a point, at least part of these complaints or accusations are a result of misapplying the word of God to one's works and thus deeming them good works. This is why it is important to apply the word of God correctly. All of scripture must be taken into account. It is a lot of, the Bible says it's rightly dividing. It takes a lot of work to study the Bible, but we want to take the whole Bible into account. When scripture is properly applied, it is fruitful. But when wrong ideas are promoted, you and I will reap the consequences. Ideas have consequences. This is why we must be bold, but careful that we are preaching and applying God's mind in, on an issue, being very careful to rightly divide the word of truth. So thirdly, though, maintaining good works must be learned. It says, let ours also learn to maintain good works. Man is not born innately a diligent man, especially not a hard worker for the good of others. So how can good works be learned? Should we go to the gurus of modern society to learn what good works are? You've got YouTube now, and they tell you all these things. I mean, occasionally an unbeliever, they do have good ideas at times because they're living in God's world, and they come across things that are true. But so many times you go, we go to them and try to learn from them of what true wisdom is. What are good works? What is it? What should I be doing with my life? And Or should we go to the one who has in him hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Should we go to the fool who claims wisdom, or the one who is wisdom and lives up to the statement in Proverbs that says, Whoso findeth me findeth life? Well, I hope among this crowd we do know the answer. But... We all know knowing the answer and living the answer are two different things. Do we live as if Jesus is, is, as if in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Do we live as if that is true? Do we live, live as if the wisdom God gives us in his word is what will give us life? Wisdom is living out the principle of the Bible practically. Do we think working for God in his way is profitable? Doing what God calls good works. Is that profitable? Do we believe that? We ought to. But how do we learn how to do good works for the necessary uses? How do we learn to do these things? Well, first, God's word is the answer. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is Jesus Christ. His word is Jesus Christ's word is the Bible. In him, in Jesus Christ, in his revelation, that's how we find out truth. That's how we find out what good works are. So first, we need to get in God's word. We need to seek his mind on things. Our whole life, we are not going to all of a sudden tomorrow wake up and be doing everything as we are. We are not. But through our whole life, striving to become more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more sanctified is the big word we use, but just becoming more and more like him according to what he has told us in his word. Are we living more like him? So we must seek his mind on what good works are. 
Job said he esteemed the words of God more than his necessary food. I know I don't always do that. Probably don't do it much like I ought to at all. Ever. But that's what Job said. He said the food was more important than the word of sorry. The word of God was more important than food to him. That's what he said. In Luke 8.15, when telling the parable of the sower, Jesus Christ in there where he's compared the seed of the word of the seed to the word of God. In that parable. And Jesus said, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. And also throughout the Psalms, we can read of the psalmist's zeal for, for and love of the word of God. Psalm 119, 59 through 60. I thought of my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. So how are you going to learn what good works are? They are necessary. They are profitable. They are our life. Let me rephrase that. The word of God is our life produces good works in us. But how are we to do what God has us to do? These good works, and that are not for our own doing, and not for, I want to make that clear, it's not for us to lift ourselves up and say, hey everybody, I am the man. Look at me. I do all these things. I am hospitable. I take care of my neighbor. God doesn't, God doesn't care to lift you up. That's the main thing at the beginning of verse 12. It's not about your legacy. It's not about your name, your brand. It's not about, it's interesting having people work with in the world during college, and some of them on Facebook once in a while will put something. If you follow them, you're hoping that maybe something you post could be an encouragement, a blessing. So they'll put things up occasionally that are, love yourself. That's not what God says. That is the world's thinking. It's not about us. It is about what is God saying is good works. That's how we're going to find out. But how? Another way is one way is reading really God's word yourself, reading it, studying it. Secondly, listen to the word of God preached and applied. Preaching is profitable. In well, in Luke eight fifteen, we already read that. But but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So they heard the word. You can hear the word by reading it. You can hear the word by preaching and being expounded. In Titus one three, we see that. Titus one verse three says, "But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior." So it's Manifest God has manifested his word through preaching. That's how one way he manifests or shows his word. So how can you seek this biblical preaching? That's the hard thing today. There's so many different preachers. It's not all biblical. Well, one way that we do have the word of God is be in church every time the doors are open. Whenever you're able to be here and serve the church, is gathered together to worship God, be here. There also, you can listen to good preaching, biblical books, as you go about your day in this modern technology. But you have to be careful, especially if you're young, but even, the Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Get, what, get advice from 
pastor, off your kids, your parents, older men, ladies, older women in the church, seek wisdom and guidance, but there are ways this day and age there is not, it is not that we have don't have access to the word of God. It's everywhere. I mean, most of, all of us have, a, all of the adults here have a phone. You could pull it out. You could do so many things on there. But you also, you know, I mean, you've got sermon audio, a bunch of other different things you can listen to. You'd be very careful. But if you want to know and understand the Word of God, you need counselors, but you have, there are many opportunities to understand God's Word better. And so you cannot say, why. Well, there's no excuse. God does not give you any excuses. So seek to learn how to apply the Word of God to every aspect of your life. Because the Word of God is fruitful. De doing good works in this world is fruitful. Third, though, in the study of God's Word, as you're seeking to learn what good works are, seek don't just seek to read it and just to listen to it because in verse in Luke 8:15 he says but on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit with patience they kept it and patience means it was a long there is for a long term it wasn't just once Understand, though, as you seek to apply the Word of God, that Jesus is. Emphasize that in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Every aspect of your life, he has an answer. There is a principle or some part of Scripture that applies to your situation. How you can do good works that glorify God. Understand, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And believe, as you say, I want to apply, which what wisdom is, is applying the knowledge and understanding you know in your practical life. Believe what wisdom says, as wisdom cries out in Proverbs 8. Verse 19, it says, My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Verse 35 says, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Wisdom. In wisdom, God has given you wisdom. He provides, if we just desire to know his mind on things, we can know it. If we desire to know how to do good works in this world and to help, up, help our fellow neighbors out. It's... We say good works, but it's not as a lit like it's not a lifting ourselves up. It is for to point others to Christ. It is to help our brother. Because the whole point of life is to lift up Christ, to point to Him. And fourthly, though, don't just learn this. And it's already it doesn't specifically say it here, but if we want others to learn it, how to maintain good works, pass it on. He talks about that in Titus chapter 2. The men are teaching the younger men, the young, it's particularly the young, talks about the younger, the older women teaching the younger women. 
So we are to learn, but also if we have younger or newer people in the faith, don't just say, you can figure it out on your own. Help them to learn. Talks about that in Titus 2. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, though, in Mark 16, 15, we're given what we call the Great Commission. We are clearly commanded to preach and teach all that Jesus has commanded us to observe. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16, 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But we must remember that the gospel is not just. It is first and foremost the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is not, does not end there. It does not end where I got my ticket to heaven and the rest of my life I can live as I want. God expects you, he demands that now you, as a Christian, he saved you to do good works, to glorify him through those good works. So how can you be fruitful in this world? How can you produce apples when the world tells you that you're actually producing hemlock poison? That's what they tell us. And you, you and I must commit ourselves to believing what Jesus has said. We must commit to live out the good work of the gospel in your, each and of our lives. You and I must understand these good works are not about ourselves. It's not about you. This life is not about you. That's what Titus, I believe, understood. He was told that twice in, that, in those few verses, it says diligent, quickly, make haste. We must understand it's not about ourselves. Truly, the whole law, though, is summed up in two parts. Because we don't want to forget, we don't do all these good works and just be thinking about just good works. And we want to remember, as it says throughout the rest of the book, the reason we're able to do these good works is because of Jesus Christ. The law is summed up in two points that Jesus said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Your salvation did not come about because of you, and your life afterwards is still not about you. Seek to help others whether they're a believer or unbeliever. Seek to show the love of God by caring for them. Seek to show the love of God by preaching, pointing out in love their wickedness. Because whatever idea we want to talk about, whether it's homosexuality, say one of the big ones right now, or transgender, got feminism, all of those things are destroying their lives. And not just spiritually. That's most important. People are committing suicide because they don't know who they are. And we have the truth, so it is our job to understand it is fruitful. What we have here is profitable. The truth of the Bible, the salvation of Jesus Christ, is profitable for all of your life. 
It is profitable so that you can be a blessing. Okay, lift up Christ first and be a blessing to others in that. Your dominion was always about God and his glory. It will never be about yours. So rather than look to your all your own ways for fruitfulness and try to find your own self-help or study your ways out to be, I want to be fruitful or profitable in this world. I want to make my way in the world. Look to the one who has says, if he says he has all wisdom, do we believe it? He says all wisdom is found in him. Seek from him what it means to be a fruitful member of the world. He has placed you in. This world is his world. Do everything for his legacy. Do it for his name. Not for your own brand. Lift up Christ. Lift up his wisdom, his strength. Do it in these things. Because Christ is profitable. He's profitable to good works so that others, it talks about through the rest of the book, or through other parts of the book, that others would look at Christ and see, which in verse 10, it actually says in chapter 2, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And that idea, though, is as a Christmas tree. A tree is beautiful. You ever seen a Christmas tree? I Christmas trees are beautiful. Drive down the canyon, and you see a bunch of, you could say, they're pine trees. That's what a Christmas tree is, basically. It's a pine tree. There's nothing on them. They're beautiful. You add ornaments to them. Wow. It adds extra pop, the lights, the ornaments. The same idea. Our job is to lift up. That people can look to, you could say that tree is almost like this, the gospel, Christ. That we, people look at us, and they see the God we worship. And that maybe, just maybe, they'll have a desire for that. For the fruit that God produces in our life. They'll say, maybe I want that. Maybe that does taste good. Maybe that is worthwhile. So let's remember that. It is not about ourselves. It's about Jesus Christ. 